Hello, is this Mr. Hayes? This is Jacob from the Jacob Buer Show. Okay, I hear you loud and clear. Right on. That's awesome to hear. So my first question is, um, how did you get involved in aviation? You're from Mississippi. You were a high school journalist, kind of similar to me. How did you kind of get into aviation? Uh, I got into aviation uh, because I wanted to serve uh, my country during the Korean War, which had come on. And that was actually after high school uh, and two years of college. I was had finished two years of college also thinking about journalism. And uh, the uh, only service and approach that would get me a commission as an officer, which my dad had always encouraged with uh, being 18 years old with two years of college, was the Naval Aviation Cadet Program, which led you to be a naval aviator and fly airplanes. So that's uh, how my uh, career career changed uh, from journalism to uh, being a an aviation and a pilot, which incidentally, uh, almost from the start, I enjoyed flying and it was incredible experience. And I uh, quickly decided somehow I was going to try to make a career in uh, in aviation. Uh, Interesting. Not- yeah, not space, of course, because space uh, program was a long ways away yet. During the Korean War. Yeah, the, and, yeah, the, Korean, War, the Korean War actually ended about uh, six months before I finished flight training. So I did not see combat. Uh, and uh, I, when I, after I was commissioned, I did go to two Marine fighter squadrons and served over the next uh, few years. But... Uh, the the combat portion of the Korean War was over when I finished flight training. Interesting. And, of course, you also went to Oklahoma, so I just want to say real quick, boomer sooner, um, be Texas. <laughs> I got to say that. <laughs> Amen. Amen, yeah. Hopefully it will be a better football season, though. Yeah, I, I hope. I wish the boys would do as good as the girls do in softball and uh They'll be probably champions again, and this year, I think, of four out of the last five seasons. And uh, the girls' uh, gymnastic team just won their second straight national title. But, Interesting. Uh, yeah, Oklahoma football uh, wasn't quite up to it last year, so I'm hoping they do better. I ended For up sure. in Oklahoma, incidentally, uh, as I talked about in the book, uh, when I thought of uh, going from operational squadrons, and I'd been in two in the Marine Corps, to what, what was – going to do next, uh, I thought I would become a test pilot, still staying with aviation, but in a different a different profession line, so to speak. And uh, one re- request, uh, prerequisite for a test pilot is to have an engineering degree. Uh, and so uh, I looked around at where I would go to school to uh, complete, uh, take that two years of junior college and turn it into an engineering degree. And one of the requirements in my mind was to go to a school that happened to have a reserve flying unit close by that I could join and stay current in aircraft, particularly high-performance aircraft. And that's what led me to the University of Oklahoma because the Air National Guard 185th Squadron at uh, Oklahoma City uh, had jet jet fighters. And so that's, so that's really why... 
I, I went to Oklahoma. My, from a school standpoint and curriculum, uh, the best school I thought uh, was the University of Michigan, which was one of the first colleges to go to develop what's called an aerospace engineering degree. And uh, But the, the nearest guard unit at Battle Creek, Michigan, was four up, and they had a waiting list for who might Wanted, who wanted to join the unit? So I knew I was interesting. I would not be able to get into that uh, guard, international guard unit. So that's why I went to Oklahoma. Interesting. And real quick, I'll just say um, I'm headed to Purdue University this upcoming fall. So same school as Neil Armstrong and Gene Cernan and um, Grissom. So lots of great people have been there. Um, my next question is: What was it like? Kind of what was the experience like once you got picked by NASA and you started training? Um, of course, you were the backup crew on Apollo 8 with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and then also the backup on Apollo 11. What was it like when you finally found out that you were going to get to fly on a mission? Well, I mean, uh, when you when you first join the program, you know, you're a rookie, and there is a, a, a plan of training that's laid out, spelled out for uh, uh, new people joining the astronaut corps. Uh, that actually, in our case, was planned for a little over a year, I think. But they they had to take us off that training cycle after about seven months because they needed us so bad in what they call support crew roles. And that's what I actually first worked at. Uh, I was assigned to worry about getting lunar modules through the factory, manufactured and uh, assembled and then tested to be able to ship to the Kennedy Space Center to launch. And I spent 14 months uh, in that role, uh, working mostly for Jim McDivitt, who was going to fly the first limb in orbit uh, on, limb ni- on Apollo 9. Correct. And then uh, did get uh, a first, first crew assignment, as you said, on Apollo 8. And that was uh, made possible by Mike Collins having a medical problem, because uh, he, pri- he was originally going to fly Apollo 8. He was the prime crew member. And when he had to back out of that spot, they moved Jim Lovell up from the backup crew assignment with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Jim started in the backup crew. And then he moved up to the prime crew to fly Apollo 8, and that opened up a position that I was uh, chosen by Deke Slayton to fill. And so that's how I ended up in that uh, backup crew assignment, my first real crew assignment. Interesting. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was at Kennedy Space Center and got to see Launchpad 39A up close um, and learned a couple of interesting things, like the parking lot alarms going off when the Saturn V would take off. Um, what was it like sitting on that launch pad? Well, I sat on there many times uh, in testing, uh, but sitting there in your spacesuit and ready to go, you do that a couple of times just for, t- for tests, uh, obviously. In fact, two weeks before launch, in those days, all the Apollo launches, we did what was called a wet countdown, where everything was filled up, completely fueled and ready to go, and you you boarded the spacecraft uh, just as you would for launch day, and they went down to literally the last few seconds, 10 seconds or less, and called it all off. And uh, they detanked everything, and... uh, so we showed up, you know, two weeks later to crawl back in again and now go launch. 
Uh, Interesting. You're really not very busy uh, during that time uh, after you get uh, through the ritual of getting uh, into the spacecraft and with the help of the suit tech and a member of a closeout crew, uh, get uh, get uh, all your hoses uh, hooked up for breathing and the uh, straps attaching you to the couch that, uh, uh, firmly done. Uh, everybody leaves. The hatch is closed. Uh, and check for that's pressure proof, uh, pressurized to handle pressure. And there's a few calls here and there from the uh, uh, launch director to do certain things, switch positions or whatever. But it's it's not very busy, and uh, you're actually there a couple of hours uh, waiting uh, to the actual uh, launch sequence to then take place, which is done automatically uh, to start up the engines and uh, and you're on your way. Interesting. And I don't want to ask you too many questions um, about the flight because you've been asked a lot of questions. But one of the things I want to ask is, what was it like when you were going behind the moon? You guys are the farthest crew at this point um, until Artemis II takes off in a couple of years. What was the view kind of like outside of the window looking down on the moon craters? Well, we, we had a better view than earlier flights because we were at a higher altitude. Uh, most all, all the lunar flights uh, normally went into and uh, set up an orbit at 60 miles altitude above the lunar surface, circular uh, orbit. In our case, we were just swinging around the moon, and as we, the high point for us around the moon was about 132 to 135 miles, something like that. So we got a broader view of the area in the backside, than than you would at 60 miles. We shot a lot. Basically, Jack Swiger and I had cameras out, uh, Hasselblad cameras with uh, lots of film packs of both black and white and color. It's a lot. We had a lot of film we were never going to use on that flight, obviously, uh, the way it went. So we shot pictures almost constantly, of, you know, as fast as almost as we could sight something and thought it might be interesting, and we shot so Jack, Jack and I were busy at different windows shooting pictures. Uh, Jim was more involved in worrying about spacecraft uh, and was, of course, he had seen the moon uh, through the, all the orbits they did on Apollo 8. So he had been there before and probably was uh, more, more disappointed even than I was of not landing because that was his second time to the moon and now he could not land. Interesting. And did you, and just two other questions about Apollo 13 that I'll ask for some advice that you'd have for the next generation. Um, when you were on the flight, did you at any point have any trouble sleeping? What was that kind of like? Or was it pretty peaceful? Uh, I mean, of course, the flight was not peaceful. Things happened. A lot of things went wrong. But was it tough to, like, sleep through that, focus, anything like that? Well, the, uh, to me, it was uh, tough. I didn't. I didn't go to sleep as fast as I did. I, I sleep as soundly the first night, uh, but that's true. If I go if I go on a trip right now, and I went to a town I'd never, not been before, and in a strange hotel, a different bed than I normally sleep in, I normally don't sleep as well as I do at home, uh, in my bed. So the same thing. Uh, but after that, it's uh, you're actually floating in zero g uh, while you're sleeping. So. So it's a very you have no pressure points, so it's a very comfortable uh, situation, 
and I never had trouble, uh, obviously, up until we had the explosion. Now, after that, the whole uh, work-sleep period ritual, which we normally followed, uh, was out of kilter because we were kind of obligated to do things as things got worked out that needed to get done. And then the spacecraft, as we powered severely down the lunar module to make it last long enough to get us back, got, things got very cold. Uh, in fact, it froze the water tanks in the mothership, and we quit. We quit being in there unless we had to go up and get some uh, some, a bag or something of of uh, drink, uh, and uh, and then even quit that after a while. Uh, stayed all in all three of us in the lunar module, which similarly was chilly, at about uh, in the 30s, 35, 37 degrees Fahrenheit. And you guys couldn't put on the suits, if I'm correct, because that, it was. You guys couldn't put on the moon suits because you would have been extremely hot, if I'm correct. Uh, you're kind of breaking up there. Um, you guys couldn't put on the space suits for the moon because it would have been too hot if you would have had them on, correct? All except one person. Oh, we had two sets of hoses in the limb that could have hooked up to the suit. One was being tied up by that lithium cartridge. And so one person could have gotten in a suit and uh, been comfortable. But Jim Lovell decided that we should all suffer equally. <laughs> so Interesting. So, so that's... Nobody got in their suit. And you're right. If you didn't have the cooling, uh, the inside of the suit is rubberized, so to speak. So you would have perspired. And uh, it had been bad when you had to get out now to go to the bathroom or something. For sure. And then what was it like on Splashdown and what advice would you have? The splashdown attempt, if I'm correct, was actually very precisely correct. One of the best splashdown attempts is what few people know. The uh, splashdown we had uh, in the Apollo mission report, the overall program report, which is a very thick document, one of the uh, appendices I looked at, uh, at at one time that looked covered a lot of the data, but covered the entries, uh, that uh, had us as tying per second. In accuracy. Interesting. Uh, in second in accuracy. Uh, and uh, it was quite remarkable since we had shut down that spacecraft and abused the electronics, certainly, with the temperatures we took it to that it wasn't qualified for. And it all came to life, and the computer uh, functioned well. Like I said, fully automated. That entry was done fully through through a computer that was powered back up and gave us the second most accurate splashdown of the uh, program. Uh, tied, Interesting. I, I forget the other one, Apollo 10, I think was the other one we tied with. And my last question is, what advice would you have for the next generation of aviators or astronauts? I don't, I don't have any advice. Normally they're going to uh, be there because they love what they're doing. Uh, whether you're in the military or I was a NASA test pilot, there obviously uh, it's not all freelance. There's a process and uh, uh, procedures and, and, and training that you go through to assure you're capable of not just doing the job that you're planning to do, be it a military airplane's mission or our next test uh, program, but also be safe uh, in uh, the approach in which you uh, do things. I don't think that part of it, uh, as far as uh, now the, 
the vehicles you're in have changed dramatically, a lot of different technology today, but it's how, how a person would approach it uh, would be no different in that respect. For this kind of training you would be uh, do to be able to perform the mission. Interesting. Well, I don't want to take up any too much more of your time. I appreciate you so much for coming on the Jacob Buehler Show today. A lot of you know future inspired aviators, I'm sure, will be listening. So thank you so much for coming on today, Mr. Hayes. All right. Well, I'm glad glad to do it, and I wish you uh, the best in your uh, career and life ahead. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.